We are at week four in our series of life verses, and we're asking the speakers to talk about a verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture that has been transformational or has given direction to their lives. And we are inviting you to come up to the board. There are markers over here and to place uh, your life verse or an important life verse on the board. Now, that being said, I'm not going to talk about my life verse today. It is on the board at least three times, Psalm 103 and maybe more. Psalm 103 is my home base. Two years ago, when we were preaching through the book of Lamentations, I had a way of moving most of Psalm 103 into that Lamentations sermon. So if you want to go back in the archives, if you really want to do that, you can find it uh, two years ago. But this morning I would like to talk with you about another portion of Scripture that tells us about the character of God in ways that, for me, are transformational. It was scandalous. He was their spiritual leader, and his influence extended beyond the congregation to the community and even to the nation. Everyone knew him, and everyone knew what he stood for. But now the word was out. He had been caught with a prostitute. Not just once, but on multiple occasions. And when confronted with his actions, he seemed to attempt to justify himself. Well, actually, I was witnessing. I I wanted to make a statement which is why I was with this prostitute. You see, I, I, I think God wanted me to do this. Do you know this man? Do you know his story? The story is tucked away at the end of the Old Testament. It is the first of the Book of Twelve, or what we refer to as the Minor Prophets. It's the story of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet, and While there are many suggestions on how we might handle this particular account, it seems to me the best way to handle this story is to take it at face value. So listen to the opening words from the book of Hosea. They'll be on the screen, but if you want to look at the whole book, you can find it on page 1343 of your Bibles. The Lord gave this message to Hosea of Berai during the reign of Uzziah, when Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Joash, was king of Israel. Now, after Solomon was king, after the whole nation was together, there began to be infighting, civil war, disagreements within the community. And the whole kingdom fell apart 922 years before Christ. I was going to bring and draw a map of... uh, the divided kingdom, but someone who was here last week drew a map that was far greater than any that I could draw. (laughs) So you can see here the northern and the southern kingdom. Well, kind of. Israel's at the north. That's that's actually the um, Jordan River, and you've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Kind of. Um, The northern kingdom is above that red squiggly line to the right of the Mediterranean Sea. Those were the ten tribes. And then the the lower two, Benjamin and Judah, made up 
Judea and Jerusalem was their capital. Hosea was speaking primarily to the northern kingdom. And the message continues. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Try to imagine for a minute what this may have sounded like to Hosea. He was a devout follower of God. He wanted to do what was right. He wanted to set an example for the community. He wanted to call the kingdom of Israel back to God. Hosea, go and marry a prostitute and have children with her. Could you say that again? So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel. For I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel had been a lush and fertile, beautiful valley a tourist destination. But it was desecrated by murder and mayhem and massacre. In our country, we have again witnessed murder and mayhem and massacre. This time at the Sikh temple in Milwaukee and just weeks before in Aurora, Colorado. But who can forget Columbine? The first of the devastating and horrific high school massacres. Columbine is a beautiful wild flower. A beautiful flower. But who would name their child Columbine? Because it stands for destruction and tragedy and horror. And the Lord said, name your son Jezreel. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Loruhamah. Not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. After Gomer had weaned Loruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, Name him Loami, not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Loruhamah. What a name for a child. Not loved. Loami, not mine. You don't belong to me. What on earth is going on here in this biblical story? A hundred or 150 years or so after the division of the nation, Israel had walked away from God. The nation had cavorted with the enemy. They had committed treason. They had been guilty of unfaithfulness. And God was displeased. Like John Edwards, who cheated on his wife while she was battling cancer that eventually took her life. Like Benedict Arnold, an American general who moved over to the other side. 
Israel had cheated on God and had danced with the enemy. The people of God had turned from God and had entered into a relationship with the religion of Baal. They made idols and sacrificed to them. They bent down and they kissed these idols, these inanimate objects, and attributed their success to golden calves. They abused power. They exploited the poor. They were so far from God that they engaged in temple prostitution and lewd sexual practices. Baal worship also included the sacrifice of little children whose bodies would be buried in the foundations of public and private buildings to ward off and to placate the wrath of the gods. This is what the people of God had run to. Into this scene, God calls this young man Hosea and says, Go and marry a prostitute and have children with her. And the story of Hosea and Gomer becomes a living and a divine drama about the faithfulness of God and about the faithlessness of people. It is a story of God loving people and of people pushing back saying no. It is a story of God continuing to reach out to love people, reaching out in tenderness to win them back. And in this first of the minor prophets, we catch, we begin to catch a glimpse of the depth of God's love for the people of God. What comes next in Hosea are astounding words. Yet, Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. In a great reversal, Jezreel becomes a place of beauty and a place of greatness. Loami, or not my people, becomes my people. And Loruhamah, not love, becomes the incredibly loved people of God. But this amazing story is not done yet. And in the personal narrative, we pick up in chapter 3, it says, the Lord said to me, Hosea, go and show your love to your wife again, though she is now loved by another man and is now an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I, Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and leketh of barley. What was the price for a slave? What was the price for a has-been used-up hooker? And why would Hosea, who was Gomer's rightful husband, have to pay to buy her back? And why would he want to? After she had born and weaned children... Had she decided that the life of prostitution was more glamorous? Had she become addicted to drugs of some kind? Why did she leave? 
And why did he want her again? In this acted out prophecy, there are three words that are used for love. The first is ahaba, or sexual attraction. It's the excitement of young love. Perhaps it's what Hosea and Gomer experienced at the beginning of their relationship. And then there's ramen, a kind of pity or sympathy for the helpless. It's what Hosea may have felt toward Gomer in her state of destitution. And the third word for love is hesed, or covenant love. Hesed is the love of God which sees beyond our circumstances and loves us unconditionally. And in this divine drama, we catch a glimpse of hesed love, the tender love of God for the people of God. It is the truest kind of love, steadfast, loyal, merciful, gentle, forgiving. It is the kind of love of which we sometimes sing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. From this Old Testament drama, we jump over to the New Testament, where we hear the words of 1 Peter 2 on page 1806. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is not here talking about Hosea and Gomer and the nation of Israel. He's talking about you and he's talking about me. And with the drama of Hosea and Gomer in the background, we are reminded that no matter who we were, no matter what we have done, God is reaching out to us in love. As we say in baptism, God is reaching out even when we are unable or even when we are unwilling to respond, God reaches out to us in love. Listen again to this string of descriptive words from First Peter. Chosen, royal, holy, special, from outsider to insider, from orphan to child of God, from runaway to finally home. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey tells a story that I think sums up the truth of this scripture wonderfully well. Some of you have read it, some of you have heard it before, but I believe it's worth retelling. A young girl, and we will call her Jenny, grew up just north of Traverse City, Michigan, located at the bottom of the Great Traverse Bay on Lake Michigan. Traverse City is the biggest town around. At 15,000, it's not much of a city, especially if you are young and you're looking for excitement. But tourists love Traverse City. They come to enjoy the protected shores of Lower Lake Michigan. They come to enjoy the cherry blossoms that come in May. And occasionally, some cool kids would come with their parents. They would be dragged along, and Jenny would get to hang out with them for a little while. But mostly for Jenny, 
there was not much to do, not much excitement. Maybe sneak out for a couple of cigarettes or for a couple of beers. Her parents seemed pretty old-fashioned and very strict. They did not like the piercings. They didn't understand what was cool. And one night after a particularly difficult quarrel with her parents, Jenny decided she'd had enough and she would run away. She went to the bus station and she got on a bus headed to the big city, Motown, Detroit. She didn't have any real context in Detroit, but she figured she was savvy enough to find her way. And on her second day in Detroit, she met someone she thought was a fabulous guy who gave her a great place to live and some of the most wonderful pills that she had ever taken. Life seemed, oh, so good. Better than she could have imagined. This man taught her some special things that men might appreciate. And she began to earn lots of money for herself and for this guy she called the boss. Until a year or so later, when the first signs of illness began to appear. And she was kicked out of the big house and found herself alone and on the streets of Detroit. As winter swept in, she tried to find a place to sleep, a place to keep warm. And as she was trying to find a place to be, she remembered home. And she remembered Traverse City in the springtime when all the trees were blooming. She remembered running through the trees with her dog, and then she thought, my dog eats better than I do. So she decided she would try to go home again. And after a few phone calls with no one answering, she left a message, something like this. Hi, this is Jim. I'm coming home. I'm catching the bus, and I should arrive at about midnight. If nobody's there, I'll just stay on the bus and continue on to Canada. As she rode through the darkness of northern Michigan, hour after hour, stop after stop, she wondered, did I make a mistake? What if no one is there? What if they're away on vacation and her anxiety built as she approached Traverse City? And this is how Yancey concludes the story. She checked herself in the compact mirror. She smoothed her hair. She licked the lipstick from her teeth. She looked at the tobacco stains on her fingers and wondered if her parents would notice if anyone would even be there. And she walked into the terminal, not knowing what to expect, and not one of the thousands of scenes that she had thought about was what she experienced. There in the concrete walls and molded plastic chairs of the bus terminal, stood with her parents, about 40 brothers and sisters and great-aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They were all wearing goofy party hats with noisemakers, standing in front of a homemade banner on the wall that said, Welcome home, Jen. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once 
We were not a people. But now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. What do we do with this? This great story from the Old Testament and these powerful words from Peter. Let me make two very quick suggestions. The first is simply this. If you are here today needing to experience God's love and mercy, allow God to wrap you in arms of tenderness. As Psalm 103 says, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, not keeping track or record of our sinfulness, but offering wondrous forgiveness. If you are needing that today, let God embrace you. Experience his love. Become his child. The second suggestion is this. For those who have and are experiencing God's grace, live in confidence and freedom as children of God. Let your life declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Let the way you live give testimony to the fact that you belong to the King of Kings. God is your Father. Let's pray together. Too often in my life, Lord, I find myself out on the streets having done my own thing. And apart from you, that there you are, waiting, embracing, loving, calling me home. Thank you for taking a not my people and making me and us incredibly loved children of God. Help us to move from that place of wonder and security into living in a way that declares your praises so that people will see you and be drawn to you. In Christ's name.